This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, Dr. Drew here, and this is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for entertainment and education. We hope you learn something, but see your doctor, get proper medical care. Well, one of the great parts about working in recovery is seeing former patients successfully move on. And I've had patients that have come up to me years later and uh, shake my hand and say, you know, sometimes people are kicked out of treatment. And uh, many of these folks move on to become mental health professionals themselves. And, of course, the field of psychology is vast. The need for competent practitioners is huge. If you're considering this rewarding career, I urge you to consider the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant University. Now, I've known them for a long time at Alliant University. I've spoken at their past events. It was founded in 1969. It's boasts an alumni network of nearly 50,000 people worldwide. And Alliant has fostered many of today's mental health pioneers, authors, and advocates. CSPP at Alliant University hosts both on-ground and online programs in business psychology, marriage and family therapy, clinical counseling. They also offer APA-accredited doctoral programs in clinical psychology that can allow for specialization in child psychology, clinical forensic psychology, and integrated psychology. And the faculty is crazy. It's made up of, of leaders and historical figures like Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, Viktor Frankl, some of the true fathers of modern psychology. For more information, and I worked alongside of these students as well, by the way, in the clinical setting, as well as having lectured at the institution. So for more on the California School of Professional Psychology, CSPP, at Alliant, click the Alliant banner on our website or visit Alliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T dot E-D-U, Alliant dot E-D-U. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you were listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Thanks, everybody, for subscribing to the show. Support means a lot to us. We love seeing those ratings grow every week. Let us know you're out there. You have to listen to the episodes you download, but maybe you haven't gotten to yet. Go ahead and listen to them. That helps us keep our ratings growing. Tell a friend also, listen to the show. We depend on your downloads and listening to support this podcast. If you didn't already, we have a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube slash Dr. Drew. See all the live videos and podcasts there. Subscribe when we go live. Also, uh, like us on Facebook.com slash Dr. Drew or Facebook.com slash This Life Podcast. Check out DrDrew.com. We have a family of podcasts there. And finally, I want to shout out to our sponsors, Hydrolite, the fizzy replacement tablets that I intended to invent myself they got ahead of me and did it themselves and so you don't need ivs anymore if you're otherwise healthy use the hydrolyte fizzy tablets um go to the banner doctor.com if you click there uh we have a 30 percent discount for those vendors on the amazon site also thanks to alliant.edu they're a terrific educational program they've been supporting us uh, support them at doctor.com they are the california school of professional psychology and they produce great professionals Again, we'll tell you more during the break. Please support our sponsors so we can bring you more of this live podcast. And as we promised last week, we kept our team together here. I've got Dr. Aaron Foster. Welcome Hi back. There. And Thank I've got Bobby you. Chacon. Thank you. Um, go ahead, tell your particulars again. Licensed MFT. Uh, licensed MFT. That's a marriage and family therapist. And then I am also a behavioral analyst. And then, Bobby, you're a... 
Um, FBI. A 27-year FBI agent, uh, two tours of duty in Iraq. Um, my share of traumatic experiences. And uh, Bobby didn't mention last time. He's also an attorney, FBI veteran. Bobby has like four <laughs> lifetimes crammed to, crammed to his head. I wish um, he would like really try to do something. Yeah, I know. He would do something with his life. And his I'm wife, an underachiever. Can I, can I, can I, sure. Yeah. His wife... I, he, he's gonna he's gonna temper what I'm saying, but trust me, it's essentially what I'm about to say. Runs the Olympics. <laughs> His wife runs the Olympics, and she's in now Beijing or something. Like Tokyo, so, Tokyo, setting up the next one. She was in Brazil forever doing it. So you're the you're the least high functioning person. Yeah, in the I'm the lower achiever in the house. <laughs> she's the weak. It's going to be in Seoul. Is that right? Is that where it is? No, no. Uh, it's, it's north of Seoul. North of Seoul, and then Tokyo after that, and then Beijing after that. So she's setting up the next three sets of Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Wow. Um, Susan's uh, first lady of love, big, big winter Olympic fan. Yeah, yeah. So she's doing. She does winter and the summer, right? Yeah, she does yeah, winter so. and summer. Ooh. Uh, so, Bobby, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm always good. That's the thing you misinterpret my social media persona. <laughs> I just like to cause trouble. <laughs> it's the last remnants of my punk rockism. In real life, I got two kids. I just sit on my back porch and look at the trees. That's the truth. Chew your Nick Red gum. Chew my Nick Red gum, have coffee, listen to John Coltrane and Thelonious Monk this morning. Yeah, but in the meantime, all this garbage is scrolling through your head. It it goes out in social media. My brain is a filter for what comes in, and then it goes out, (laughs) punk rock version. I think the the Trump phenomenon has gotten you uh, sideways. And you, you know what really, that, yeah. what's underneath all that no. is just sadness, just true sadness. I don't want us to be divided more. And last week when we were talking about how security guards make minimum wage and first responders and Republicans and Democrats and blacks and whites were all pulling together to get your ass out of there and help get you to safety, yeah. why aren't we like that all the time? That's the sadness we, the, I have, I, I, and it comes out as anger sometimes. We we did have that for a few weeks after nine eleven. Interestingly, mm-hmm. remember yep. that? I mean, mm-hmm. it was an extraordinary experience to see that, and somehow we tend to unravel even more after an event like yeah. that or something. I don't understand why. I, I guess history is full of examples like that, isn't it? I mean, don't people sort of scatter at once they've come together, or they or their aggressions start getting acted out? But I think that we're we're in a period now where the um, conciliatory feelings last l- less of amount of time, and then we go back to the division. Divisiveness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that a friend of mine suggested, Republican friend of mine suggested, that I watch Fox, Fox News for a half an hour a day, like about eight months ago. And I started doing it on a consistent basis. And I started seeing this no one's really getting any facts. It's just opinions that appeal to one part of our population sure. and opinions that appeal to population that I am a part of, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that, that's that what's was, turned me off about that's it. That's the and one thing Mr. Trump got right. That's all fake news. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all it's, opinion it, news. Yeah, it's yeah. not really even news. And, and so I'm just kind of opting out. I'm trying to find my way in the world like I think a lot of free-thinking people are. Trying to find your way out of this. How do you how well, do you know what's up happening in your society if you don't pay attention to the news? Right. Yeah. How do you do that? You read the Economist and you read the critically papers, and you don't listen to much news because that's yeah. where all the spin is. But uh, right? you know, you've been working around it for decades and decades. I mean, it well, must but be even frustrating us, it's for become you. even worse for us since last summer because now you know us the being, FBI got yeah. the FBI the FBI got attacked 
for for not indicting Hillary, and then we got indicted for you know coming after Trump. You know, it's all different. Even this, even this story, even in Las Vegas, I comment on a lot. I've been on some news shows, and I'm getting attacked on my Twitter feed because the FBI is saying we haven't found any ISIS connection yet, even though ISIS claimed responsibility. Yeah. And I have this group of people that are far right or that are attacking me because the FBI is covering up somehow covering up the ISIS connection because it hurts Trump's agenda somehow. And I haven't even been able to wrap my mind around yeah, I can't, that. Is that, is that a right or left? I, have, left I have no idea, but that's <laughs> happening. I'm getting attacked on Twitter because the FBI is hiding Ugh. the ISIS connection. So Drew has an optimism that this is going to hit a perfect storm and something good's going to come out the other side of it. I think the, other, the something good that's going to come out the other side of it is I'm going to take my children and move to Bali. I was thinking <laughs> yeah. Mexico is you looking good to me. <laughs> No, we have a friend that moved to Bali. He pays how much did he say? Fifteen hundred dollars a year Taxes. for a two bedroom mm-hmm. house. I was oh, born. Yeah, sure. I was married in Bali. Were you really? Yeah, and um, I just moved back from Brazil. We were there for oh, three years. Oh my god! What town? Uh, Rio. We were living I, in Rio. I lived in Rio in the oh, Blanc. Really? Oh, well, and Saint Teresa. Yeah, the, Santa Teresa. Yeah. yeah, we lived in wow. Pucca, yeah. Here's a guy that yeah. knows how yeah. to get around. Oh, I told you. But the division there. I mean, we we were there. We moved there in August of, of 2014. They elected a new president. Before we moved, they were already impeached her and removed her from office. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, they've found a way though to have political division that doesn't divide them personally because uh. every it's mandatory voting there. Everybody has to vote. Every person has to vote, huh. and 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 it's very divisive. But they have three or four different parties politically, um, even though they're two main ones. But oh, somehow so, right. they have found a way to have a lot of political division without infecting the. Personal. So were you there during the the riots over the bus fares? Yes. Okay. So I was starting a rehab there in San Teres. And it was going to be called Rehab in Rio, right? And those, the friend of ours' daughter was going to be the first client, I don't want to tell you. But those riots caused everyone to, in, the, in London, where, in New York, in LA, where I was going to get clients from, like, we're not sending our kids there. Because right. I had this idea that the humility involved, see, I can speak a little bit of Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I can survive it's in Portuguese. Yes, Portuguese. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So you're really left in this, you're, you're just, a, you're lost. And you need to find coalition, and you need to find people to trust, and find ways to get around the city and know how, what's what. And I wanted to bring drug addicts that usually go to fancy Malibu rehabs or Hazel Dinner Buddy Ford down there to experience. They could get sober and then experience really rebuilding themselves, mm-hmm. like I did. I lived there for like five months. It was crazy, right? It was crazy down there. Yeah, they don't speak a lot of English either, unlike Europe where you can survive. Yeah, they don't. They, they don't. don't Even if they do, they don't like to do it for you, mm-hmm. right? right? But one thing that struck me is the favelas, which are so famous, right? There's one south of Leblanc, mm-hmm. right? It's, there's a, like two million people living up in severe poverty. Yeah, yeah. A walk away from like Eponema Beach, where all the billionaires live. Yeah, and and it just there's not enough army or police stopping them from having a revolution, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And it is that commonality of people. It's a very strange thing. We we've gotten away from our commonality in America. Yes, we have. We were mm-hmm. we were we were united by an idea that no one has been educated in. <laughs> no one even knows what the idea is anymore. 
right? Well, you're a bigger optimist than I am if you think we're going to come out of this on the other side. <laughs> Where do you think it's going? I, I don't know. It frightens me. Ha, ha, you, you were very upset about the Comey stuff, I know. Yeah. Is that still yeah. bugging you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a moderate, and so yeah. I get attacked by both yeah. sides. Yeah, me too. You know, I hate so, everybody. Yeah, and everybody hates me. Yeah. It's like I, I don't take – it's a, a, like I don't take a stand yes. because I yeah. have a, a moderate view of, yeah, of you most things. See, yeah, you can yeah. kind of see things. And yeah. I always feel like, hey, who am I to say? I don't know enough, right. don't know enough <laughs> right. to know what the answers are. But I can sort of see both sides and things and have certain certain things bug me. So right. Hub- and so I hubris think it, is my latest thing that bothers me. Well, yeah. I mean, I think like for somebody like me, it's like there's no way. Like I don't have any friends anymore. Like you have to you have to take a side. That's what it feels like That's in this crazy. society. You have to take a side. If you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not over here, you got to be over there. Oh my and, god. And so it, it's really like I, well, I don't and, know. And where I, it's I think I was going to tell Bob Bob Forrest. That I, I feel I've, I've figured out what the Trump phenomenon is. It, it's he's a he's a murder weapon. He's a, he's a, he's a wrecking ball. They send in something just to just to clear to wreck things up, and that's what he's doing. Right. That's what right. he's doing. That's what people wanted. And that's well, what he's doing. And according to Chopra, all great change is preceded by great chaos. Well, there's this there's this uh, book called the was the Fifth Turning or something. Have you read this book? No. Yeah. It's about how different generations bring these different things on and he's sort of saying we're in it now right uh, and we're up something's going to happen and what do your kids think it. of it of what of the trump phenomena uh because i'm interested in what millennials think that, i think that, they think uh, i need need help getting on in life and uh you know whoever can help me let's let's go well, let's 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 get on to the topic at hand here we we, we diverged into our our politics today no I mean, it's gonna get political as soon as we bring on our guest you think all right. Well, healthcare is a political issue now. Okay. All right. Well, right? let's let's welcome our guest. Uh, we're going to talk about Las, Las Vegas. And my guest is Brian Claypool. He's my neighbor, friend. He's an attorney. We used to. I got to know through our program at HLN when he was prosecuting. Uh, he would talk about child abuse. He was prosecuting te- misbehaving teachers in oh. the Unified School District. Well, that's I a like busy. That. That's a busy and job. That's not why he's here today. He's here today because he was at the Las Vegas uh, disaster. Brian, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me back. How you doing? Uh, boy, not that well. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I thought I was doing a little better. Today, because the shooting happened on a Sunday, mm. uh, not good at all. Feeling extremely irritable. Don't want to really be around people. Went to church because uh, I want my daughter. You've met my daughter. Your daughter's playing hide and seek right now yeah, with my son she, and Aaron's daughter. <laughs> well, it, good. good and they're to, having a blast. It's good to walk down your <laughs> stairs and see my daughter saying, "Shh." <laughs> don't, don't interrupt our fun. <laughs> that brought a smile to my face. So, so good recipe. Thanks, Aaron. Anytime. Uh, and and do you want to talk through yeah. what you saw? And, and Aaron well, and Bobby both can help you. Bobby yeah. had a team that had to be uh, had various kinds of trauma that they had to deal with regularly. Aaron yeah. treats people with trauma. Go ahead. Yeah, interesting. I just got a heart palpitation when you asked me that. Yeah. So I'm kind of going back to how I was feeling when the shooting happened. Before I tell you about the shooting, though, I want you all to hear. You've known me for years now, Drew. I've been really passionate in the legal field, trying to make a difference, especially with child abuse cases and civil rights. Boy, i got to tell you, since the shooting, um, my heart for the law is, is crushed. And what I mean by that is there's very little right now in my life other than my daughter and trying to make some change. To change uh, your priorities. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you, dude. It's like I don't, I, 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 I've got, been in my office maybe five minutes since the shooting, because going back to my office is just not important right now. I've helped form a foundation uh, to help victims. Um, I, uh, by, I, you've met uh, Eric Garcetti, our, our wonderful mayor in Los Angeles. Uh, 
I've got some ideas for the homelessness. Let's well, go, let's go I, work I, with them. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, yeah, I'll, we got I'll, I'll we got some good that. ideas. Right. He's a good guy. I've known him for gosh, what 12, 12, 13 years. He reached out to see how I was after the shooting. So another project I had is I said, you know, uh, can you help me meet Senator Dianne Feinstein? She just announced her reelection, and she has that uh, the bump stock bill that she's authored pending. And I went to an event Tuesday, and I and I, you know what I did, Drew? I took a letter that my daughter wrote me for my birthday. My birthday, by the way, was the Tuesday after the shooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I was in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. to celebrate my birthday. My, my daughter didn't know I was involved in the shooting, wrote this wonderful birthday card to me, best card I've ever gotten f- from her. She talked about, uh, and I have to caveat, I'm sorry she didn't say that part of her memory was coming to your place and hanging out here. That wasn't one of her lifetime memories yet, so you got work to do yet, Susan <laughs> Drew. Okay? But uh, she wrote, she, she said, I, I just, I, I've loved the memories you created by going to New York City musicals, going to see Ariana Grande, going to visit relatives in Portland, Maine, going to the Mid-State Fair every summer. And then she wrote a little note and she said, oh, and I, and I look forward to spending the rest of uh, my life or your life with me creating more lifetime memories. Mm-hmm. I took that card it was written on a piece of paper. And I asked Senator Feinstein, to, and I, I read it to her. I was two feet from her face, and I read that card to her. And I said, I want you to know that I was there. And I almost didn't get to realize those lifetime memories with my daughter. This isn't politics anymore. These are human beings like me. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that I've been trying to put my energy into. But I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm worried because I, I have felt I've lost my, my zeal for much else. Well, let's let's start with Bobby first, then Aaron will go that's, therapeutically. First of all, you have to understand that's natural. It's something that's going to happen. Um, you know, I would. I'm not a professional, but I've talked to a lot of professionals. I've been treated for the same things you're dealing with. Um, you know, this is going to be. You have to start to think of this as a lifelong, possibly a lifelong recovery. Just like those memories you just described, your daughter has good memories, right? From when you were a child. Some of us can remember childhood memories, right? Those are great things. The same thing happens. You have now a memory. It's actually, unfortunately, a bad memory mm-hmm. that may be with you for the rest of your life. Um, and just as some things can trigger a good memory, a song, a, a food, a smell can, can trigger a good memory for us, there are certain things that may trigger that bad memory for you in the future as well. You just have to be aware of that and, 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 you know, and develop coping skills to deal with those kind of things. It's, it's, it's something that a lot of people you know, have a hard time with. Just be, just be ready for some sleepless nights, some anxiety. And, and just when you think you may be out of it, there may be something I have myself have triggers that I'm aware of. I know I can't watch certain movies that have certain content in them, so I stay away from movies like that. Movies that, by the way, I used to like watching, now I can't watch. And so there are certain things that just happen that I have to be careful of triggers. And, and Aaron, I don't know if this, you know, if, if you know what I'm speaking about. Oh, yeah, of this course. Resonates. Yeah. Um, what, I'm going to call an audible, if that's okay. And I want to ask for your permission if mm. you will trust me for a minute and just kind of go somewhere. Um, knowing that we are all safe, this is a safe, I believe a safe place for you, uh, because I want to honor and really respect what you were saying about feeling agitated and irritated and not wanting to be around people. I want to really respect that. And so I'm wondering if you'll trust me for just a second. Sure. And, and before we talk about it, like you mentioned what you were feeling in your heart. And I felt something when you said that. So I'd like to suggest that you take a breath, 
and just go into that space, into the heart space, and just notice that feeling, and then just let it go. But just notice it for a second, because I, I think it's important, because you, you mentioned it, knowing that everyone in this room is supporting you. Okay. And I'll even do it with you. Just notice it and let it go. Okay. Because I completely agree with understanding there are going to be things that you are triggered by. And part of the process is being able to identify those. How, how do we deal with the, the life-changing quality of all yeah, this? Yeah, but Drew, I mean, yep. Aaron, before I can get to that, I, I have to tell you, it's not even triggers I'm dealing with right now. I'll give you an example. When we just tried to laugh a few minutes ago about going, going downstairs, my daughter was like, shh, I feel guilty. I have major issues. Survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. I, but I feel guilty smiling, Drew. Like I'm, like I'm supposed to be, everybody's telling me, oh, go try to work on yourself. Try to um, do something that you enjoy. Try to bring some laughter back into your life. The problem with that premise is I don't feel right about laughing. I don't feel good did, did about you, smiling about anything did, right now because I just watch people get killed and I'm wondering why I'm out here alive right. and I'm supposed to be smiling so i'm, I'm confused it's a con yeah. it's an internal conflict for me right so, now. so you you actually saw people die I, I saw people shot on the ground i found out later still have my bracelet on mm-hmm. i did a, i did an interview with cnn uh shortly after the shooting i connected with a young lady uh i did it uh, i think the one was there was chris cuomo where there was a young woman on the other end and she uh she uh, was simulcast from Sacramento. Her name's Lisa Fine. Turns out she was 11 seats from me, the exact same row. Mm-hmm. She confirmed that a woman was killed in our section. I saw another woman shot. I was about 15 feet from the general admission section. So as I'm getting up trying to run away, I saw a woman in the general admission section get hit. I find out later she died. I've seen people, sh- I saw people shot, you know, their, their arms are bloody, stomach bloody. Then that gets into the next issue that I've I, I've talked publicly about, which is the the inability to be able to do something for those people. So I'm feeling selfish. Here Help, I was, helpless. Here, yeah, yeah, helpless. But but I'm also feeling selfish. I'm feeling selfish for me. Like, okay, I got to get out of here. Okay, what am I going to do to get out of here while these people are having their their butts right, hit well, by so bullets? Hold so on. that's a different. So hold on. So maybe Bobby want to address that because. You are not equipped. You and I are not equipped to go into the the line of fire. Mm-hmm. And anyone who was like a Bobby there would get us the hell out and tell us to get out of the way and to find the exit, which is exactly what you did do. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and and I actually saw you a number of times. Yeah. You know, on the, in the few days after that, and each time I saw you, I could tell you you were living it. You know, standing there, and you seemed more tired each time I saw you. You know, in the preceding days, on all the coverage that you were on, and. and your story is compelling, no doubt, and you know that's what people wanted to get out there. But I was worried about you personally telling your story over and over again because I the, saw the emotion. is not and good. To me, it feels right now that you're still in it. You know, we we speak to, to somebody last week who kind of they're over it and they're kind of on the road. It seems like Brian, you still you may still be in that post event uh, situation. You're um, like it's like your body is remembering it constantly. Right, like I 100 percent agree with that. Yeah. In fact, I just experienced back pain. It's funny you mention that. The last three days, yeah. below my shoulder blade, I had to get some muscle relaxant, 
and there's no other explanation other than my body's still is your, that your body's is, oh, is still, it's still in like, you can even get if you're, uh, you're really an empath you can get weird stuff where your body starts to hurt where some of the people were hurt that you were looking at oh interesting and okay. uh, you know and and it, it's all in your body it's not your brain it's your mm-hmm. body is still doing this to you did, did you it'd be interesting did you have a freeze response when you were did you freeze for a while while you were in the midst of it all well, let me tell you I'll just tell you the, the reader's digest version of what happened so be, I, be I, careful. We we don't want to revivify. So give no, us no, I, I, give well, us even the 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 the, uh, the abstract of the reader's digest version. I yeah. Don't no, I, I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind talking about it in a little more detail. I was telling right. Susan, your wife, about it because I was actually, I was actually learning about why I was able to start um, reacting proactively after the first round of shooting. It could be related. We were talking about had a couple people approach me due to my training as a trial lawyer over the years being put in pressure situations, forced almost all the time, you know our business, yeah. to think on our feet. Yeah. We don't, you know us. We don't have a lot of preparation. You know, we got to respond to what's going on. That could have had something to do with this. Sure. But anyway, so I initially heard some pops, thought it was fireworks, looked up in the sky, didn't see anything. And I, got, I admit, I got worried right away because I was hoping I'd see something up in the sky. I knew something was not good. It didn't feel right. It did not, I had not a good feeling there. Yeah. So then right after that, Drew, I, then st- I just fixed myself on Jason Aldean. Mm-hmm. I was looking at his face mm-hmm. for the barometer for, for what's going to go next. Which, by the way, is what humans do. We look, we, we look to figure out traumatic situations to other humans. First thing oh. we do, even when we know what's going on, the first thing we look to how others are reacting. If we're in an earthquake, watch what happens. Everybody looks at everybody else mm-hmm. for, for oh. signs on what to do. I so, didn't know that. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, he, he, literally, that guy was like going to be the godsend to me to tell, me to tell me whether to make a move or not yeah. so i was looking at his face and then uh and then i heard a next round of pops that the second one was about five to ten pops boy so i initially if you saw my coverage bobby mm-hmm. i initially said that jason aldean threw his guitar on the ground i had a few people correct me afterwards because i just the fact that he was taking his guitar and lunging it apparently yeah. put it under his shoulder under yeah. it cup, cupped it under his 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 arm armpit yeah. and then he sprinted off the stage and on my heart at that moment, it was toast. I was sunk. Yeah. I'm like, this is horrible. Yeah. So I immediately, so but I, unlike a lot of others, immediately jumped and was trying to get to the to the row to, to into the the corridor area to run up the area that I had to then run down to get away from the stage area because where I was was a little bit left of the stage. Could I, you tell where the shooting was coming from? Oh, at that point? D- oh, dude, it felt like it. I, honestly, it felt, I'm not kidding you. It it felt like it was right over my shoulder. Yeah. Because but I you find, knew a direction. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I knew it was behind. Exactly. Yeah. I knew, see, so just so your, your your audience is aware, I was in the corner closest to the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. In that cor- so that the was sta- not a good corner to no, be in. No, that, that corner. So the stage would have been stage is here, and then I, well, it's, it was yeah. in front mm-hmm. to the left of me. But I was in the corner yeah. contiguous to Las Vegas Boulevard. So when those first round, the, the the barrage of bullets everybody's heard on TV and radio. When that came, it fe- and I could hear. You could hear. The, the power of the bullets. You could hear it. Whizzing could feel, by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whizzing by. You get right. So I, I felt like at that moment <laughs> that there were terrorists like right outside the venue. This is what's horrifying. Because people, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, well, there was a shooter up yeah. on the 32nd no, no, floor we, of the Manhattan Bay. Are you kidding me? When you were what, in that? This is what most people thought. Oh, my God. People, we we we're, discussed something. There's yeah. people ground level coming at you. Yes, exactly. So imagine so. yourselves there, Drew. Yeah. Imagine that yeah. there's, and by the way, the fence is about four or five feet. From where you are. So from we are. So yeah. when the, when I heard that blast of automatic weapons, I thought terrorists, more than one, two, three, 
and they're coming over the fence because that's where they're going to get and, more people killed. And by the way, if it, were, if it were me, I would also think they may be wanting me to run in that direction. And then they're right. going to set a bomb off yeah. wherever we're running. You know, right. What do you do? What do you what do you do, Bobby? Well, at, at that moment, right when you're just assessing, and he's got a pretty good assessment, reasonable t- take on well, what's like, going on. Well, like we've said previously, the normally you run away from the fire, the, the sound. But in this case, we didn't know. A lot of people didn't know where the sound was coming from. Especially when it comes from above, it's a lot harder to confuse to, it. To, to, to point pinpoint yeah. where it's coming from. <clears throat> so normally you, you run away from the sound. The second thing people do in a venue is you, normally they head to where they came in. Mm. Um, and and I went past. But interesting, I went past where I came in. So I was, I was trying to get away from the stage, which is the right way to go, right? Because he was kind of behind the stage, the shooter. Yeah. And and so running away from the stage would have been running away from the gunfire. Jesus, I'm getting PTSD. Just I, I can imagine what your body is going but, through right now. But you're literally getting, getting okay. I'm but let me tell you what happened up. then. Let me tell you what happened. Here's what I went through. And I told Susan this before we started. When the first barrage, the, the first major barrage, it sounded like it went on forever, and it was just pop, 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 pop. It was just, it was so close. The shots were so close to each other that I, I kind of laid myself down on the steps, but my head and neck were still exposed, mm. and you could get ricochet. Yeah, sure. right. I from my heart, thought I would, would die at that moment. Yeah. Because, Bobby can attest this, the sound of the bullets was so terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a shotgun sound. One, right. pop, pop, pop. It was pop, 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 pop. thought there were multiple shooters. I knew right away, uh, automatic weapon. And I literally just remember, just, and I talked about this at my church last week, something maybe Aaron can come on, at that moment, I went from I, – I, first I went from, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. And then, by the way, I was trying to pull people down mm. because, like you guys were saying, people were frozen. Yeah. They're still sitting in their chairs. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, it, this is a real gunfire. Yeah. So I'm laying down with my two arms. I'm reaching out now, trying to pull people on by their pants oh. to get down. But, man, when that shooting kept going on and on, I, at that moment, was thinking two things. Number one, what's it going to feel like to get hit by a bullet? Okay, I'm like – you. you Mm-hmm. Okay, what's this going to feel like? Where is it going to hit? Yeah. Is it in the head? So I put my left hand above my ear a little bit. And then the other part of me was, uh, and this is what I talked about in my church last Sunday, how am I going to be remembered? Mm-hmm. How will I be remembered? And I talked to, to a big congregation last week, and I told people, this is a positive thing I'm doing now. I'm going to maybe go out and do a little speaking about this. Uh, you know, death, death was at my doorstep, no question. I thought I was going to die. So I wasn't thinking about, like you were talking about, living in, uh, you know, or Bali and some other beautiful countries. I wasn't thinking, man, I'm, I, my mom's from Italy. I've never even been to Italy yet. Why? I'm going to die, and I never got to go to Italy. wasn't thinking that. I was thinking was, man, did I, have I tried to turn my life around the last 10 years? You know, I, before I met you, I, you know, I, I didn't have the best track record with how I treated women and was kind of doing law to make money and defending big businesses and womanizing, counting how many girls I've been with. And, you know, I turned my life around, uh, you know, through my church the last, you know, six to eight to ten, ten years after my daughter was born. And I ruined my relationship with her mom. So at that moment, I had this, this feeling of peace over me. I'm like, man, at least my daughter is going to feel like she had a great dad. I was a good father. I've done some great work in the community with the child abuse cases. I've made a difference in protecting children. So at that moment, I'm waiting to die. I'm thinking, okay, I've got a decent legacy. So now one thing I'm trying to do is to try to encourage people to live in the now, live with a higher sense of urgency in their lives because you don't know when your time's going to be up. 
Okay, so then I went, the, then the shooting stopped for a little bit, and then I went into, the, I think, maybe the legal, the, 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 pro, the analytical mode. Then I'm thinking, this guy's got to be reloading. Or maybe, maybe there's other shooters, and they're trying to figure out where to go next. So I said, i got to make a move. So I, I, ran, I ran up, the re- up this little stairwell and then down to get out of the VIP section. But then that put me in an open area. Mm. And, and, and then luckily there was a young Hispanic man who I consider to be a hero who was waving people into this little room that was under some bleachers. And he, he, he said, you're in, you're in the line of fire. Get in here. But then when I went in there, it was pick your poison. Because I'm thinking of the Orlando shooting. Then remember what we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. Just, then I'm thinking the shooter's going to jump over the fence. And we're sitting in this room. Yep. We're dead. We have nowhere to go. Then so I went from this euphoric feeling like, oh my god, at least we're protected for a few more minutes. To we're all going to die in this room. Yeah. Then I see five young girls, probably aged 19 to 21, on their knees crying hysterically. So I'm trying to calm. Okay, let's calm down. You guys are going to make it out of here. We're going to get you out of here. Then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do to yeah, get them out of here? What, okay, what am I going to magically do? But here's something interesting, Drew. That, that maybe you guys, can, you can, Aaron can even comment on this. This this helps me feel a little bit better about what I feel like I didn't do enough in the shooting. What I did at that moment was I looked at these girls, and I said, I'm a middle aged man. I've had a daughter. It's better for me to die than them to die. So what I think I did subconsciously, I stood in front of them. I didn't kneel down. The, shoot, the second barrage of shooting was going on. For some reason, I'm still standing wide out in the open in that door. Mm. Maybe that was because I was like, if somebody came in with their guns, get I'm going to try to go down, distract them, and they can try to get away. Yeah. So I do kind of, I kind of feel like I, 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 you know, I did something good something good there yeah sure yeah and then you have to make a break yeah and then then the second round the barrage of shots went went down and i knew we had to get out of there because of what bobby was talking about had to get away from that was trying to go north but then there was a that moment this is the second most surreal moment the first one thinking i'm done i'm i'm gonna die i had to go back to the open door and i remember looking out and and in hindsight, I'm facing, I'm looking right at the Mandalay Bay. Wow. I'm facing the Mandalay Bay, not knowing that's where this, oh. this lunatic is. Right. And I, and, but I'm looking out, is it, is it safe to go? And there's a heroic police officer who sees me and knows, he must have known there were other folks in there. He's like, run north now, run north now. He just screamed it out. And then I, but then I, then the selfish part of me was like, I make a, made a move. I'm like, holy heck, I got to, wait a minute, I got to go back. I got to get, get these people uh, the out of selfish here. part of me that I went to unselfish. Like, everybody get out of here. And, and then we ran north and then it was chaos trying, I just, every people shot, chaos trying to get out of there. Because mm-hmm. you, then it was like a gridlock on the 405. There's a small little exit. I, I tell you, it's probably like three or four feet. One person at a time oh. can get out of there. So that's the third time I thought I was dead. I'm oh. like, oh my gosh, okay, I thought we were, here's what your mind's going through. I think we're going to get to safety. Oh my God, we can't get out. There's like hundreds of people trying to get through a four foot exit. I'm like, oh. So then again, the second moment where I, I do commend myself so I don't keep beating myself up was I said, look, everybody, they're, they're, we have no t-. I was yelling, calm down one at a time. Pushing, shoving isn't going to help. So I tried to like, lead people through for a little bit, you know, one at a time, calm. And then I, then I went through there and, and then it was chaos for another three or four hours because I went to the Tropicana. Oh, there's a live shooter at the Tropicana. I went to the MGM. There's this killer in the MGM. That's what was being propagated on social media, Drew. I didn't get, I didn't feel safe till three, what, three, three thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's it shocked your body. The, the, the euphoria and then dread and euphoria and dread. Oh my yeah. God. Oof. 
I'm feeling it just across the room from you. It's mm-hmm. just incredible. Yeah, it's 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 you. You never you, you like you made a great point. You, one moment you think, oh my god, I'm going to make it all. And you're like feeling your body. Like when I got out of that little room and I was going toward the exit, and before I saw the gridlock, I was like pinching myself. I'm yeah, like, I'm get back. In I body. think I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna make it through. Then I see the gridlock, and I was waiting to get hit in the back again. Then because I'm right. thinking what Bobby was saying. I'm thinking the dudes are going to jump the fence. I'm thinking they're on the street, and then you know what else I'm thinking? These poor police officers—they've got what revolvers sure. well, against auto, yeah. or what do they have? Uh, no, it's probably semi-automatic pistols, but they've got you know, against, there's no range on that. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a mismatch, no, dude. No, don't you no, think? No law enforcement were hurt in this thing, were they? Which is kind of extraordinary. Well, the, there was one guy killed, one Charles. Guy. Yeah, uh, uh, Af- and here's something that, that we were all talking. You were talking about before I got on here about why we can't live in a more harmonious society. Yeah, all this racial divide we have. Yeah. Nobody's talking about this young man's African American, Charleston Hartfield. Is his name? One police officer died. How about it? African American guy trying to save a lot of white folks in this concert. There were some African American people in the concert, but but what what a hero that guy is! I think there was one off duty officer or something from L.A. or from. There was a lot of off duty that was there. killed. That yeah. was that was killed. There. Oh, was he killed? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the producer. No, there's no question. This was kind of a game changer in that. You know, we keep saying he 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 was a sniper from a sniper position. He wasn't shooting as a sniper. A sniper usually uses a bolt action rifle, one bullet. He knows his target. It's a very specific. This guy was raining bullets down onto a crowd. He was shooting fish in a barrel, so to speak. So he wasn't he wasn't targeting individual people, which makes it even more scary because when this crowd was running, we won't ever know how many of the 58 people that were killed had they run left instead of right at the right second that yeah. they were hit, they would still be alive because the bullets were just flying. But that's he wasn't aiming point. at them. But that- you know, and so there's nothing they could have done. This is the randomness of life and death mm-hmm. because they made a left instead of a right and they ran into the path of a bullet. And, you know, and like I said, we'll never know that, but he wasn't specifically targeting people. He was just shooting into a crowd. For, for Brian now, he literally is like a soldier who was in a, you know, an Oh, ambush. absolutely. Anybody that was in your situation like that, this is, this is combat trauma. Yeah. This is yeah. the same yeah. trauma that combat veterans face. So what, what do we do with those guys? Aaron? Well, what I'm hearing is that uh, well, I'm wondering if what I'm hearing is that you aren't giving yourself permission to feel what you're feeling. I don't know if you guys are hearing that too. And that's a really important part of this process is whatever comes up, whatever it is you're feeling, give yourself permission to feel that because it's happening to you right now. He's not giving himself permission to feel anything good. Exactly. Right. He has to that's only exactly feel right. bad. He has to only be punished. Right. So, so not that's only right. is he in the memory, he has to punish himself on top of the memory. Himself. No, that's exactly right. I, don't, I, I, I cannot feel... Uh, any sense of uh, joy? I'm even a little bit irritable with my daughter right now, like, and that's I can't, okay because too. of the guilt part of like, how can I be feeling good when other people are are down? And here, I just want one more comment about our society. It's my problem, not society's problem. Maybe it is society's problem. You meant, but you uh, is it Bobby? Yeah, Bob. Bobby, Bob, Bob, well, Bobby and Bob. He, Bob, he, he Bob. made a good he made a good point. It's like it's like when I when I go out and about. When I go out and about, and, and let's say I go to get a cup of coffee somewhere in Pasadena, and I'm seeing people like, oh, just, just walking down the street, giggling, laughing, you know, uh, all happy-go-lucky, that actually bothers me. This bothers me because I think Bobby had mentioned, you know, we, you know we're, is this going to be a story for a few weeks in the media, or is this country really going to try to do something about this, are we going to try to improve security? Are we going to try to uh, do something on gun reform, which I'm working on? Uh, are we going to uh, try to do something to have people 
uh, try to, to, to not be as evil by maybe making this a better place to live? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, another part of my being heartbroken is because I feel like when I see people out and about all happy and having fun-loving, that it's not on their radar screen mm-hmm. that these people got murdered, the biggest, largest mass shooting in the history of our country. Why aren't people a little bit more bothered by this? Maybe that's my problem. Maybe it is a byproduct of our society. Well, that's... And this is Bob talking. So I'm a left-brain person because of childhood trauma. So, And I recognize a lot of left-brain. You want solutions. You want rationale, explanations. I'm the same way. I'm different in that 175 people who I care about in this country die every day for no reason. It's called drug addiction overdose, right? Senseless, useless. We don't do anything about it, is my opinion. And so... The gun violence issue that came up as a result of this shooting, it frustrated me, too, because when they do the gun reports, you know, 90 people get shot every day in America, 60 of those are suicides. 60 people shoot themselves in the head every day in this country. And so these are big, big problems, big issues that I think we need to come together to solve, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, I think that we're not. And but why don't we? Why don't, I why don't, don't people, know. Why, don't, why, why aren't people dealing with, with the, the drug addiction problem, the suicide problems, the, 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 the safety of our... Everybody here has, has kids. I mean, well, why, why, do we, why, why are we on to something else that stimulates our brain a week later that's, that's, that's completely disconnected with what just happened in our society? It is, it is the strangest thing. And <laughs> one of the things I've talked to a few people... Um, what we did in the addiction community with the OxyContin uh, issue is when people were getting multiple sc- prescriptions, we, we got a network together, a nationwide federal network, to track those people and go after them and access, you know, so they couldn't do that. I'm certain that when somebody buys 30 or 40 weapons in a year and then a couple of bump stocks, we could do that same thing. Sure. So we could model the prescription drug laws at the federal – because you want to – you know how hard it is to get anybody to agree on anything. Mm-hmm. But just that what we did with drugs to limit OxyContin right. access, we could <clears throat> do with these maniacs who are well, buying all these the, weapons. Uh, Not good registered Americans, whatever you want to call it, that are buying a weapon here, a weapon there. But when somebody's stockpiling and buying bump yeah. stocks, we should be able to track sure. those. Because, in fact, the people that were getting the multiple OxyContin prescriptions were not that many. Right. Not compared to how many people were addicted to drugs in America, but we could at least cut that off. Well, even they, they even they did that with uh, meth, where you couldn't buy a cold medicine that had a certain yeah, chemical in yeah, it. The, now you can take that postcard up to the front, and you can get it. And it just stopped people from buying thirty boxes of yeah, it yeah. because they knew what they were up to. The same thing with with the gun laws. If you're buying thirty of something, it's probably some kind of nefarious uh, intent. Yeah, and that, it doesn't stop we... me from getting cold medicine. I can still get my cold medicine. So the argument is, oh my god, you're going to prevent me from getting a gun or getting a high capacity magazine. It's not doing that. I can still get my cold medicine. Little but the solutions. guy that wants to buy thirty boxes of it at four different drugstores today to make meth out of it, he can't do it. Or at least it it puts us on to him quicker. Now we need to be be able to get on to guys quicker that are maybe amassing uh, this kind of arsenal. And I think the, the, I call them little solutions. Let's go after little solutions because I don't think we're going to get big solutions because we're not going to agree on the big solutions. But little solutions everywhere. One thing I rail against is this is a mental health issue. No, it's not. 
You know, you mean with the shoot, you mean there's with the mental health issues in America, but this guy is off the radar. He's off the charts of mentally ill, right? There's only people. a few thousand people as sick as this guy. We don't need to say it's the same as me having depression or what you're going through with PTSD or Drew's going through with anxiety. He is not the same as us. So let's not blanket it and disguise it and call it a mental health problem. It's not. Nor is it a gun problem. It's a knowing where those margins of society that we should monitor are. Yeah, but don't you think it's also a, a byproduct of, of, of a greedy society that we live in? What I mean by that is let's, let's look at the Vegas culture. I've talked, Bobby might be able to comment on this too. Let's look at the, our culture. We've had major red flags of, let's focus on shootings now. Sandy Hook, Aurora, we, we have mental illness involved with that too. So why, why hasn't anything changed with that since that? And then what I'm talking, I've talked to a lot of people in Vegas. I know some people that own a casino in Vegas. And I, I, will, I will tell you that um, this guy, Paddock, was no, this guy, you'd be shocked, Bobby. Bob and Bob, Bobby. Yeah. Bob and Bobby. You'd be shocked at how many casino owners knew this dude. I know. They knew who Cosm- he was. Oh, sure. Cosmopolitan okay. right. knew okay. him for sure. Okay, but what, th- this leads to another question that nobody's talking about. Why, why is nobody talking about this guy? Let's call a spade a spade. He got preferential treatment because he's a high roller. He's spending dough at the Mandalay Bay. So he's getting the service freight elevator. And, and, I, and I was on Tucker Carlson's show uh, Friday. And I said, you know what? I'm going to represent some families in this case because I want to get some subpoenas over and get the surveillance video from that freight elevator. Where's the video from that? My whole point is, oh, and here's another point. You mentioned something just a few minutes ago. How many people kill themselves daily, right? Mm-hmm. All right, well, ask yourself this. I've verified with casino owners in Las Vegas. Most responsible casino owners, after 24 hours, if there is somebody in a room and they've got a do not disturb sign on there, it's their duty at that point to do a welfare check because it's just what you're talking about. People are in Vegas spending a ton of money. They're depressed. Aaron will talk about it. They get depressed. They've lost 100 grand. They freaking kill themselves. Mm -hmm. So any responsible casino would have been in there knocking on that door after 24 hours because of the, the, the... I'm not saying they should have predicted that paddock is in there ready to kill a bunch of people but it goes to your issue because people are more prone for suicide in las vegas why do you think they eliminated you look at all the casinos there's no porches there's nothing that you can go outside of your room jump off the room and jump off so where 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 is all that why because because they're getting a hall pass in my opinion because of this culture we create with power with money with greed and are we ever going to get to the bottom of it now? Now we've got three bogus, ridiculous timelines. You can't get the timeline straight on this. Why? Because you've got a billion-dollar empire in Las Vegas. Oh, Vegas. we got to worry about the Vegas reputation, too. Mm. Well, Bob, well, so, let me ask you. I mean, in the in in 2013 deposition, Paddock himself said that he had gambled. And, and by some accounts, this is an exaggeration, but it probably appro- approaches the truth. He gambled 14 hours a day I know, it's for addiction. 365 days it's a year. It's addiction. That's an addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but that doesn't explain his the psychotic nature of well, his But to Brian's point, but, I mean, all these casinos now... All these warning signs were going off. But, but yes. he, would do, he would do what you call dissociative gambling. He was into the machines, mm-hmm. and guys that do that for those extended period of times are literally don't know where they are for many, many hours a day. Right. There's a guy named 
Bo Barnhart at the uh, University of Las Vegas, and he has a gambling casino um, lab. He puts people, why are you going to put you in the casino? And he said he's seen two people dissociate so badly like that that they have to wear diapers when they go to the, the casino. So there's this dissociative gambling style. And who knows why he was doing that? I mean, what kind of horrible feelings he was having that he managed by going away. But I mean, to Brian's point, is this guy, the casinos all clearly knew him. He gambled with a high roller card that he gets credit for. If he's sitting Mm -hmm. there for 14 hours a day for 365 days a year... It's a sign of mental illness. At some point, the casinos have to take some kind of responsibility and say, we should have... Maybe. Well, I lived in Las Vegas also. They have the 1-800 number for if you have a gambling problem. That goes to your point of they just brush over everything, right? But they know there's very sick people going out there and losing their minds and losing their, their entire inheritance. And that's just a part of the underbelly of the whole thing, for the most part. It's, our whole society, but it's, it's part yeah. of our whole society right now. It, look at the undercurrent here. It's like... We're worried about. They're more worried about putting cam- little cameras around the gambling tables, and they don't even have any. Sur- they don't even have any surveillance cameras in the hallways. Yeah. Of the man, like, what is that? T- I'm trying to read beyond this now. It's like it's the culture we live in beyond Vegas. It's Could just- it, here's one theory I had about him. Drew, tell me if I'm wrong. I think his brain. He wasn't getting what he needed from the 14 hours a day for decades of gambling. Sure. He wasn't getting it from whatever the sexual things that he was doing. He seems to have a lot of multiple prostitutes around. You haven't seen that component No, but that makes perfect sense. So he wasn't, his brain wasn't giving him that thing. And I think fantasizing about doing that started to give him that bing, bing reward thing. So he might have had it in childhood, but he really amped up the last two years when he starts stockpiling weapons. That probably turns him on in many different ways. 100%. He's getting dopamine rushes from that. And he doesn't really care about anybody. And still in the back of his mind, I think he's thinking, I don't think I'll probably do this, but he likes thinking that he'll do it. He probably, the whole I, he thing probably was so insane. He probably fantasized about it for decades, decades and decades. And do you think there was possibly a major life change recently that may have caused him to... That was one of the original theories, but what Bobby's saying is... Bob, Bob Forrest is saying... Bobby, I'm Bobby. I was I Bobby Before until Bobby. I was 20. <laughs> but, but what Bob Forrest is saying is that this is just part of the progression of his conditions, mm-hmm. that he was so He's numbed out. He's, He's not getting that. He's not getting Just it. like porn addicts go to crazier and crazier and crazier sites, right. gambling addicts, behavior addicts. That's what right. they do. They, they amp it up all the time. It gets, has to get worse to, get, to feel gratified. And pretty Particularly this guy that doesn't care or have empathy for anybody or anything. Oh, boy. That's bad. And so, you know, what the solutions are, I don't, I don't really know. I keep, I keep thinking we need little solutions because we're so divided right now that we can't get – you mentioned two Democrats. You know who are acquaintances of mine too. I'm registered. Who I love. Hey, the good right? ne- hey, Bob. The good news is I'm registered Republican. Yeah. So that's the thing. <laughs> Whatever when, that means. When will sanity come into our politic? I don't think I'm going to hold my breath until then. Right. I, I think it's. A, I don't think there's one solution. There's got to be. There's got to be a comprehensive. Well, Australia you know, seems to think they have one solution. Yeah. And they've been hypercritical of us, huh? Three million people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, their solutions, I mean, sometimes you All you need is it. one guy. That's the argument. Mm-hmm. All you need is one guy and the access to the weapons, right? So the idea that you can't be Portugal, you can't do this, you can't do that. It takes one out of three million did it ten years ago, right? And he had access to automatic weapons. 
And we all it, have access what, to Australia's got three million people in it. Yeah. It's higher country and it's isolated. If there's this is three hundred million people here. And if we don't like our gun laws, we go to Mexico and get the guns and come right back. Yeah. It's no problem. So that, access is no that's problem. That pessimism, <laughs> Drew. I'm surprised at you that no, we can't do that. No, that's not pessimism. Anything. We can do stuff. I, I agree with Bobby that we, we gotta do lots of different things. What would you but do? But the Bobby? idea of restricting If you were king, if you were Trump, <laughs> what would you do? Wow, that's that's the a, bump that's stock, a loaded the question. The bump stock thing for sure. No, the bump stock sure. thing is, that, but that's 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 a really strange one because yes, I would obviously, but bump stocks as itself, what that is, is a device you can build in your garage. Yeah. And the minute you outlaw them, it, when you draw legislation, what do you have to do with legislation? You have to be specific in legislation. You have to outlaw a certain thing. If they're going to outlaw a certain thing, there's going to be somebody who goes into their garage and builds the same thing that a bump stock does today. That's mm-hmm. not outlawed in the specifics of that But you need to meet, make the penalty so severe. Here's the thing. The penalty for dealing heroin is so severe, very few people want to deal heroin. Right. I think if, if, if it was lower, way more people would make, do deal heroin because there's so much money to be made. But people measure consequence to risk. Sure. So I think, but you're sort of missing the point is that people can easily get around the law. Yeah, I, okay, I, but, yeah I don't but, think that but, access is, is an issue. I think regulation and and. and Getting these people on some kind of radar. I get this question constantly with with terrorist events. Uh, this person wasn't on the radar. Why wasn't this person on the radar? Or this person was on the radar and nothing was done about it. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's always with terrorism. We have terrorism watch lists. We have fly no fly lists. Right. So you know, I, I'm not mental health is is some you guys field. So, but we have to create some kind of thing where we can see these people in in advance of their actions somehow regulate where we can watch their behavior. And this is a really radical concept but for it, a free society. But it should have been done here, Bobby. Let, 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 let's take Drew's premise that, that people can get guns if they want to get guns, wherever they want to get them. Then why isn't the focus since the Las Vegas shooting been on the lack of security, better security? All these potential red flags that should have been identified by Mandalay Bay why isn't anybody? This is what's affecting my my abil- inability to to work through any of my anger. I'm, now I got anger on top of this. Our con- no, no, I don't see anybody in the media like kicking the butt of MGM or Mandalay Bay. Hey, how many people did you have uh, on, on security? This is a major concert across the street. Tw- I could see it from my room. Twenty thousand plus people. We know. I was told by many people. ISIS has propaganda on their website. Targeting Las Vegas. We're not talking right. about the Midwest somewhere or Pittsburgh where right. I grew up. Why is it that that these billion-dollar people that own these properties that are making money out there, you know what, are not focusing on it? So we're taking Drew's premise. Okay, people are going to get guns. So then we got to go to plan B. How do we protect people and allow them to go out and enjoy a country western festival? That's the perfect why is nobody, argument. But why is nobody, nobody, I've done a bunch of interviews on TV. I, I see all these broadcasters just glossing over the fact what I just said about the housekeeping. I've not heard one person on any newscast say why in the world was nobody knocking on this guy's door? Well, you know, I, I heard her at, at one point that two housekeepers had over that period of time entered his room and saw nothing. Now, I don't know if that reporting's true, but I, now you got to understand too, this is a, this, this is hits on a, on a very basic right that we have a privacy. You know what I mean? And I, I've been to Vegas a lot, and people check in with all kinds of luggage, all kinds of different yeah, that's, packages. that's for sure. I mean, you can get anything. And then, you know, hotels pride yeah, themselves dude, on... Dude, the, the problem pro- with your hypothetical is there's not... Okay, I get you. Next can be there a There is a 20,000-person venue. I was on the 24th floor. I could see the hole in the guy's window 
when I went back to my room on Monday, Bobby. Nope, my no whole question, point. My whole point is there is this was a bigger event. What was I'm not telling you? I'm 100 percent sure they did something wrong. But why is nobody digging deeper? What did the MGM do to elevate its security when people are not protected? In an outdoor venue versus an indoor venue, where you've sure. got the, you know, and I was got, on a show this week with they they went through almost all a half a dozen venues. The Toronto Marriott overlooks the Toronto Blue Jays ball field. If you stay in there, you actually can see the ball field from it. In San Diego, we have the Omni Hotel that overlooks the uh, baseball field in downtown San Diego. In in Baltimore, you have uh, ten years or fifteen years, twenty years ago in this country, a lot of baseball teams started moving their stadiums back into the downtown area as a way to gentrify the, mm-hmm. the community, bring jobs, bring people back. Back in there, what did you do? You put these outdoor baseball stadiums in the middle of these skyscrapers and these big hotels. Mm-hmm. How many ho- how many airports do we have in this country with hotels that overlook the runway? So knowing how easy, all how this, easy would it be to take down an airplane taking off? I know, but listen, knowing all this, isn't it more of a shock that it only happens a couple times a year? It's always been a shock to me. That's the point that I think you're not able to accept. It's it's so personal to you. That this stuff, it's going to happen again. I know it is. I went to Paris with my children over the summer to go to Lollapalooza. People were emailing me like, are you serious? You're going to take your children to Paris where all the terrorists are? Yes, I'm going to live my life. And, I, and, and, you know, that criticism of, you know, now I'm going to tell you something, Bobby. So we're in this area that's a backstage area, right? I know there's only one entrance and one exit, and they disguised it so that you wouldn't think that's where the headlining band is, right? That's Mm -hmm. a security thing. I realized there's no way out of here. I went to the back tent and pulled it up and loosened the rope to just know, like, we can get out there if we have to, (laughs) right? I'm just aware Mm -hmm. of it, and I think we all need to be more aware of it, and it doesn't... But Brian is bringing up, I think, an important point, which I would be willing to give up some of my freedom of movement to increase security, such How as, are you going to stop that? Well, guy? I like I don't mind what I do at the airport. Maybe we should have something like that at hotels. I don't know. Maybe um, I mean that, that's that's certain hotels in certain areas. That's guns, the conversation bombs. I think that Brian wants to have. I, I would like to have that, that no conversation. And, the, and what what I heard was I brought it up. And what I heard, what I got back was, oh, well, Vegas is designed to move people from hotel to hotel. And so if you interrupt that flow, no way. And I said, well, hmm, interesting. How about somebody look into it? So Brian, I'm calling on you. <laughs> we, what I think if you got you know metal detectors or bomb detectors or at least some dogs what about in there. Bomb dogs? How about some dogs right, right about around? Bomb dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can they can sniff out the smell of uh, that's what I'm saying. Of, uh, gunpowder ammunition. Yeah, they can how smell some, ammunition. How about some dogs? Absolutely. You know, just, just stuff Absolutely. like that. Just some things in, that really. But maybe would, something good will come of this. It, Drew, everybody who is there, we heard just you know what it all is. It's denial. We we don't want to live in the world that we live in. That's the reality. Right. We don't want to live in that world. Bobby Chacon is shocked that we don't have more trouble. When I hear that, I'm like, shit, I want to give up, buy after, some freedom. Niece, I was, you know, that old niece was, was a rental truck to a crowd and killed yeah. about 79 people. Was I was shocked that immediately that didn't set off a bunch of uh, crazies in this country, ISIS sympathizers, um, rent a truck and go to a, the Santa Monica farmer's market. You know, how, how hard would that be? I mean, the vulnerabilities are there. Um, it's it's a constant shock to me that it doesn't happen more. Things like that don't happen more often. Not only with guns, with trucks or with knives. We had the London Bridge attack. I mean, you know, the vulnerabilities are always going to be there in a free society. We're going to have. A, a number of vulnerabilities. The more freedoms you have, the more vulnerabilities you're going to have. The less freedoms you have, the less vulnerable you're going to be. So, you know, it's 
If you were in the middle of what I was and that I was in, I, I will echo what Drew said. And and you're wondering whether you're going to get home to see your daughter, and then these other people don't get home to see people. I'll give up whatever whatever freedoms I got to give up to make sure this does not happen again. And I'm not minimizing what any of you are saying today, but I mean maybe Aaron can speak to this or even Drew. But when somebody has been in the middle of it. They want to transfer what this is why I'm speaking about. It. And I thank you guys for having let me speak about it. I want to touch people's minds mm-hmm. and lives to help them experience what I saw and experienced so that maybe we can create a groundswell of giving up a little bit more freedom. I get what Bob says. Well, I'm going to take my kids to Paris. I'm going to, Paris, I'm going to look for an out if I got to. And I'm not going to live any differently. Well, I wish I could be like him because I have a completely different view of the world right now. I can never, I don't even. I don't even know whether I can go back to a big area right now with people. And, and instead of me being upset about that, I want to motivate some kind of change now. Why, for example, what Drew said, why can't we have, especially in these, I'm not saying everywhere, but these, we, look, we're not, we, weren't, we weren't born yesterday. We know when there's, where the potential targets mm-hmm. are for mass terrorism. Why, why can't you have going in these major casinos, the, all the, what's the, the, the detectors? Well, you can. Why the can't, answer is you can't can. you? The answer is well, you can. Well, what more is it going to take? Well, that, I, that's the question. And, I, and I'll, bet you, I'll bet you anything, too. I'll bet you anything. This is for another show. I'll bet you anything. When I get involved in these, in these lawsuits, I don't care what people think about me for being involved. I want to get involved for one big reason, because I want to subpoena documents, find out where all their money's going for security. What, what are they doing? What, what, what are these major places doing for security? How are they cutting corners? Why aren't they having their guys armed, or girls armed with, with guns? Why aren't there metal detectors? Have they ever looked into the bomb-sniffing dogs? Why is it? Well, we all know the answer, but, but until somebody publicizes that, and so instead of it being a, a big secret, I mean, everybody, everybody in this country right now, they're, 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 they're drowning in uh, opinions uh, about what, what, what happened, and they're desperate for truth. There are all, all these opinions floating around. They're desperate for the truth. Well, let's get the truth. Let's find out. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and get and to the bottom of it. Many of my former colleagues go into the corporate security world, and they, they tell me, and I hear back from them, when you're in a corporate board meeting and you're a vice president, if your department, and a lot of these guys are in security, we don't add to the bottom line. If, we don't, if we're not a revenue-generating uh, department, agreed. you're down at that end of the See? table. There you go. It's just that's the way it is. Until something like this happens. Until something like this happens temporarily then that person will have more voice at the table for a while yeah. and then it'll fade again it's just a, yeah. you know i know that from my 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 comrade my colleagues in, in the corporate security world yeah, but you're absolutely I, right but when i hear you say that that's what hinders my ability to work through this from a mental health standpoint right because i went through this i didn't think i'd see my daughter playing with aaron's daughter today right and now i got to hear this whole world talk our whole country talking about you i'm not knocking on you but about how this is going to fade in a few months. Mm-hmm. And like Drew's saying, are we really ever going to get metal detectors or the bomb sniffing dog? You know what's going to happen? There's going to be a big more board meeting at some big-ass casino or wherever. Who knows where? China. In a few months. And they're going to have a board. Oh, how much, how much money is that going to cost? Mm-hmm. What's that going to run? That's not going to bring in profit. They're not a big gambler. Psh, it's going to get thrown in the toilet again. So what hope does that give somebody like me or other survivors, or families who've been impacted. What, how does that translate into hope when we don't feel like anybody gives a shit about it and wants to make any kind of real change? And in six months, nobody's going to be talking about Las Vegas. So how do I work through something like this then? Well, the hope that I hear is 
you is a personal responsibility that you're identifying with. And one of the problems, just my opinion in society, is that we live in a society, yes, of denial to Drew's point and no personal responsibility. But what I just heard as part of your hope is I want to take on some responsibility for this. And in my mind, that is a piece of change. And in my mind, sometimes it only takes one person to create change. So what my opinion, you can disagree, how you move through this is taking ownership. The hope is that ownership of I do want to do something and I will do something and I know you will. I, I truly believe that. Okay, that gives me a little ray of hope. So, but then again, put yourself in my shoes. Then I, you know, I, you know, I'm trying to do something already, and I'm already feeling a ton of haters out there. You know, ton of haters after they saw me on Tucker Carlson show. Oh, you're just a, you're just an ambulance chaser trying to make money off this. I'm like, I, I sent somebody a tweet back. I don't normally tweet back to the haters. I sent a tweet back. And I said, you know what? Let's go grab coffee. After you've sat outside somewhere and, uh, uh, enjoying yourself at a concert, shot at, uh, like you said, what, fish in a barrel? Mm-hmm. Not knowing the next move to make, right or left, is a bullet going to hit me in the right side of the head, the left side of the head? How's my daughter going to remember? When you've gone through something like mm-hmm. that, dude, let's have a cup of coffee. That was my response mm-hmm. back to him. Well, um, no haters here. Good news, Brian. You're you're in a safe environment, as we said. And just to and, clarify for the record, that tweet I sent back was not to Drew. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome to tweet back to me if I say okay. something upsetting. Um, bottom line, certainly, certainly, plenty of other people do, Brian. <laughs> Can I just give him some more hope, please? The yeah. bottom line is this going to fa- affect people going to Vegas, and so Vegas's best response is this is what we've done. Yeah. That we've learned from, mm-hmm. because that's the big fear in the boardrooms there, Adelson and all those guys. That is this going to affect the bottom line overall of Las Vegas? I believe it will. Well, I, I also think that the legal system has to give up a little bit of this crusade for rights. My rights, my rights, my rights, and talk about safety and limiting some rights in behalf of safety, giving up some freedoms in behalf of safety. I, I do it all the time. I'm happy to do it. And listen to the Bobby Chacones of the world. And, yeah. and no, I mean, in, uh, in terms of creating a more secure place, we won't be perfect. Well, you know what we we we're up against is the, is your pet peeve, the slippery slope argument. I, I, I wish I was going to say <laughs> the attorneys always go, well, that's a slippery slope. Pretty soon, it's going to be it's going to be internment camp. Pretty soon, that's what we're going to do. I've heard yeah. you go off on that before. Oh yeah, it drives me insane. So we are we, well, no one goes off more than Adam Carolla with me, and he's like, <laughs> look, we're not we're not idiots. We, we, just because we're doing rational things doesn't mean we're going to go down a slippery slope into irrational territory. Give us some credit. And and that's why I mentioned safe. earlier, I can still get cold medicine. I yeah. can still take that postcard right. to the front. That's and right. when they pass those laws and those regulations, that's nobody right. said, oh, my God, I'm never going to be out by, by cold medicine again. Yeah, but the slippery slope, the, the time at which people you sort of jump on that, pull that banner out is usually when it's about limiting rights. Right, because you're going to limit rights. Pretty soon, it's internment camps, Brian. Internment camps. We're all going to live in camps, concentration camps. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. It's a slippery slope. There's a direct line from from bomb sniffing dogs to concentration camps. I guarantee it. <laughs> so, and, and by the way, there'll be German shepherds. I, I guarantee it. There'll be German shepherds. <laughs> you will get that argument. <laughs> so, and so, I want you to help crusade for rationality. You know, as you you hold hold that sort of Damocles over the head of the people who are making these decisions to do the right thing, and don't let anybody get in the way of it. Don't let your profession get because that's my fear is that you're going to, people are going to start arguing about rights and, and in the meantime all our safeties are going to get uh, impaired because of it I mean, 
Yes. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, coming from me, a civil rights guy, too. That's what right? I'm saying. That's what I, I want I you see to... I see totally different. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm 100%. All right. Excellent. And you're going to be campaigning with me. I'm going <laughs> to be campaigning with you. Has anybody told you that yet? <laughs> I'm in, Brian. Just well, did. Just did. That's right. <laughs> well, guys, this has been a great panel. I thank you, Brian. Thank you for... Yeah. Do take care of yourself. You're going to be okay. But, but I think... I do agree with Aaron that... For you, clearly, because your whole worldview has shifted, taking action is going to be a necessary part of your recovery. And uh, I'm standing right behind you, man, or right beside you, whatever whatever's required. Bobby, thank you. Aaron, thank, thank you. you. Bobby, uh, Bobby Forrest. Here we are, Bobby <laughs> right. and Bobby. And there we go. We'll see you all next time. All right. Thank you. All right, it is fall, and your immune system is about to get tested, everybody. Not only does the changing weather mark the start of cold and flu season, it's also back to school time when kids become walking Petri dishes. While catching something may be inevitable, there is no excuse for letting yourself get dehydrated in the process. So when you're wiped out with cold or flu, the first piece of advice always to drink plenty of fluids, but we seem to forget that. Now, once you've started feeling dehydrated, it's already too late for water or sports drinks. Rapid rehydration requires the proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water, and nothing gives this like hydrolyte. Hydrolyte's formulation is based on established, proven science, and it is the simply best rehydration product I've found in this country. Hydrolyte comes in great flavors, orange, berry, lemonade, and it's available in a pre-mixed drink, powder, or what I prefer, those effervescence tablets. You just drop in a glass of water or a bottle of water, off you go. It's like your own portable IV, but you can do it enterally. Compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-use, easy-to-follow instructions. You can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or online at Amazon.com. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. Just click the banner on our site, drdrew.com, 30% off. Great deal. Do it. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew Podcast, the This Life Podcast, and the Adam and Drew Podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's News. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.